Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. Well, uh, I am a youth pastor, if you didn't know, and uh, I've been working with teenagers for uh, just over a decade now. And uh, as I have been going through my ministry, my philosophy of youth ministry has changed and developed. Back in the year 2000 at my first church, if you asked me what's the most important thing that I can do for a teenager, I would have told you it's to get them to surrender to Christ for the first time. And obviously that's a good thing, right? You know, we want salvation. We want people to have a relationship with Jesus. Um, but everything I did, every lesson that I taught, every camp that I went on, every retreat uh, that I hosted, all of that stuff was all for that one thing, for kids to discover uh, Jesus. And uh, um, as uh, I went on in my ministry, I ended up going to seminary. And for any of those of you who, who have ever considered going to seminary, uh, it's been said that seminary will kill your spiritual journey and walk. And uh, I will agree with that. Um, and I mean that in a good way. Seminary is really a good thing. But uh, this is the one thing that, that seminary did for me is it, it updated my philosophy of youth ministry. It gave me a new way to look at it. And ultimately, what I did was I came out uh, with this disdain for the mountaintop experiences. If you're not familiar with, with that phrase, the mountaintop experiences are, are those things like camps and retreats where um, people go away, get away from the normal hustle and bustle of life, and they can just focus on God for uh, that, that special sacred period of time. And God encounters them, and I believe lives are changing that. But what I, what I came to believe at seminary was that oftentimes those mountaintop experiences are artificial and sometimes manipulative. And so I started to formulate uh, this idea that the mountaintop led straight to a valley. Now, while there's this uh, exciting encounter with God, it wasn't sustainable and it would ultimately lead to some kind of a spiritual separation from God. And, and in my youth ministry, what I saw was that kids left camp and they almost immediately forgot what they experienced on that weekend. And what resulted in my ministry was a striving for regular, significant encounters with God rather than that week-long event. And, and so what I did was I polarized my philosophy of ministry in order to accommodate this cycle in the lives of teams. And, and I'm sad to say that there were a few years... Uh, that I didn't take a kid to any camp or retreat or even give an, uh, them an opportunity for the mountaintop. And uh, if you asked me at that point, I would have told you that the faith of a person should look more uh, like a, a plateau than a mountainscape. It's a constant connection with him that I wanted the teens to have. But the problem for me was that I didn't know how to teach them how to have a constant connection. Now, 
you may wonder why I'm sharing all this stuff with you. Why is he talking about his philosophy of youth ministry? Uh, there's two reasons. Um, one is very simply, uh, I'm going to shamelessly promote the youth ministry of Quest here in a moment. And, uh, and so I'm, I, you know, Ross said, you can preach. I said, this is what I'm going to do. And he said, fine. I said, great. Um, my, my philosophy have mini- of ministry has really changed again. And, and it's kind of led me to this place where I do think that the mountaintop is significant and important for kids. But more than anything else, I want to teach them how to have regular, active, intentional, seeking moments with God throughout the rest of the year. And, uh, and I'm watching this happen in a lot of ways. Uh, some of the youth leaders put together a video of um, some of the things that the students uh, were able to experience this summer at camp. And I want to show you this video uh, for a minute. So here, watch, watch the screen to see what the students did this last summer. We, we had a ton of fun this summer and, and, uh, you can tell the kids really enjoyed themselves. Uh, but more importantly, uh, the kids had these amazing encounters with God. And, and many of you know, whenever you encounter God, you cannot leave there unchanged. And, uh, one of the things that I'm excited about is that both the middle school and the high school camp, we join with over a hundred students at each of those, uh, who, kids who are having these kind of encounters. And middle school camp is, is, is really a special one because we had 130 kids from our community, from New Albany, from Westerville, from Big Walnut Schools, Gahanna, Newark, Delaware, Sunbury, all over. All these kids who had significant encounters with God who we challenged to go back into their schools and make a difference to be the light of God for the kids around them. And that's powerful when you think about it, that, that these kids, through telling their stories about what God did in their lives this summer, have the ability uh, to change their culture. They're, they're surrounded with kids in their schools that are lost, that are hurting, that are, that are feeling all kinds of pain. They're just surrounded by a bunch of junk. And our kids, our Quest youth and, and these other kids, can go in there and make a difference, all for the sake of God. It's awesome to think about it. One of the reasons that I love my job so much isn't just because I get to go to summer camps and play dodgeball every week and volleyball and all that kind of stuff, but it's seeing a student understand their purpose in God and then go out and make a difference because of God to the people that they're around. And I want to challenge you guys this morning with something. I want to challenge you, <clears throat> if you see a student that you know that went on one of these uh, camps, I want to encourage you to ask them about what God did in their life. Give them an opportunity to tell their story of what God did in their life so that they can continue to share, to spread the light of God uh, to this community, to us. And, and here's another cool thing. This is a, another plug uh, spe- specifically for you parents. Um, but coming up in November on through the 9th and 11th, I'm taking the kids away for another retreat so they can have another encounter with God, a fresh encounter where they can get recharged so they can go back into their schools and make a difference. This is what we're about. Now, that's the first reason that I wanted to share with you about my philosophy of youth ministry. The second is this. All of this stuff, encountering God in the mountaintop and in the regular and all that kind of stuff, that's not just reserved for teens. They're not the only ones that can impact their world. It's for all of us. Every single one of us, when we encounter God, have an opportunity to be a light for Him. Now, I know that um, there's a lot of... (laughs) 
different ways and modes that we experience God. Some of us, all we get are opportunities like at retreats and camps, the mountaintop experiences, where we are surrounded by God for the short period of time and we're changed by him. But then when we leave that mountaintop, it gets difficult, it gets hard, and we kind of fall away. And I know that there are some of us, too, that really live more of the steady kind of spiritual journey where, where we go to church on Sundays and we experience Bible studies and, and, and all of that. And that's, that's good, too. But a lot of times that can even lead to stagnation in our spiritual lives, right? And I know that there's all kinds of different things. Like I was talking to someone else who, who was telling me that, quite frankly, the only time they have to encounter God is this one hour of worship on Sunday morning when they can uh, release their, their child to the children's ministry, which, by the way, we have an, an amazing children's ministry here at Quest. Yes, Denise. Um, uh, I mean, we really do. But <clears throat> this, mother, this mother said to me, the only time I can worship God is this one hour in church on Sunday mornings. That's all I get. And it's not enough to unpack everything and really encounter him in a significant way. I want to challenge us today. The mountaintop, the valley, the steady, the, the one hour of, of worship on Sunday morning, all of those modes are really insignificant. It's about, I'm not insignificant, insufficient. It's about intentionally seeking him as much as we can. I know that for, for most of us who call ourselves Christians, we didn't start in on this journey so that we could, you know, uh, just live a life that's not really honoring God. We do it because we want to make it a significant life, right? As we, as we, as we live with Him, as we walk on this journey, we want our life of faith to mean something, a life that truly honors Jesus. And let me tell you, that's ultimately what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to keep our focus on him. Because when we don't, when we don't keep our eyes on him, that, that's when everything begins to really fall apart. Jesus wants us to keep him at the center of it all. He, he doesn't want us to focus on, on the stuff that we use to get to him, to encounter him. He doesn't want us to focus on the camps, the retreats, the mountaintops, and all those kinds of things, because that's the wrong thing. That's not focusing on Jesus. That's focusing on event. He, he also doesn't want us just to focus on the, the normal day-to-day spiritual stuff, like the Bible studies and the worship services and those kinds of things, because that's still the wrong thing. He wants us to focus in on him. For us to keep him at the center of it all. And when we do, Jesus answers the question for us, what does he really want for me? This morning we're going to take a look at this scripture. Um, We're going to look at Mark 11 verses 12 through 20. And uh, I'm going to have you follow along with me uh, as I read. The words are going to be on the screen. But before we dive in, <laughs> um, I want to tell you, this is uh, a pretty difficult text, uh, and I'm, it's, it's actually hard for me to be up here. I was reading over a dozen different commentaries, trying to figure out really what it means, trying to unpack it, and, and there are some scholars, biblical scholars and pastors, who would much rather have these nine verses completely taken out of the Bible than have to explain what they actually mean. Because there, I mean, it's, it's, this is tough. And, and, uh, and the truth is, um, 
that uh, when Ross and I were talking about who's going to preach what, um, he kind of wanted to skip these verses, and, and I wanted to skip these verses, and uh, but here I am preaching to you this morning, um, Ross 1. And uh, so I want to say thank you, Ross, wherever you are, for letting me preach today. Um, blessing. I'm just kidding. All right. Uh, well, let, let's let's dive in. Let's read this text. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to it to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of the of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be, a, will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from its roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Now, first of all, uh, this is clearly a bad day for Jesus. He sets out, he's hungry, he sees a fig tree, he wants something to eat, there's no fruit. Then he goes into his house, the temple, and there's robbers and people just making a mockery of it. And he's like, get out of here, bad day for Jesus, right? I mean, th- this is, this is, this is a pretty intense story. And, and, um, actually, this is two stories that are sandwiched together. We have the fig tree sandwiching the story of Jesus going to the temple and throwing out the money changers. And, and, and how these stories are structured together is very important as we seek to understand what Jesus was talk, telling his disciples and ultimately telling us. What we have here is an enacted parable. Jesus is using the fig tree as a parable for what he's about to prophesy in the temple. Before we really unpack this, let me briefly give you the setting here. So uh, Jesus has just entered Jerusalem, the triumphal entry. You guys are familiar with it, Palm Sunday. Um, it's Passover week, and uh, we're actually going to look at those verses next year, right before Easter. Uh, Ross was, will preach those. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that, that's where this story really fits into the full context. So, so Jesus clears out the temple. He does this one week before the Last Supper with his disciples, his trial, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. So this story is, is happening one week before he sacrifices his life for all of us. So you have the setting. You know, people are flooding into Jerusalem to make sacrifices at the temple for their sins. This is Passover week. The temple is buzzing with activity. Let's go back to our text here. Uh, It's important to understand that these two stories should not be separated from one another. Many of the scholars who struggle with what is being communicated here, what's being said, 
what they tend to do is they try and separate them. They tell the fig tree story separate from the temple story, and that's when we get all of the problems. This is actually called a sandwich, sto- uh, sandwich story, and the Gospel of Mark is full of these. When I talk about sandwich stories, I don't mean stories about Rubens or Philly cheesesteaks or anything like that. Uh, what I mean is Mark is using this technique to help the stories talk about each other, to explain what's going on. So we're going to begin here with uh, the story of the fig tree so that we can understand what's happening in the temple. Here we have the only miracle of Jesus that is destructive. It stands out from every other miracle that he did. And that is problematic in and of itself. Unless we understand that Jesus was using this miracle to illustrate a point. In other words, he is enacting a parable. A couple of other problems with this story, if we leave it alone, is that... um, uh, we, we recognize that Jesus curses this fig tree for doing exactly what it's supposed to do in that season. What I mean is, you know, Jesus is going to the fig tree because he's hungry, hoping for it to bear fruit, but it's not the season for the tree to bear fruit, so he curses it. That's a problem. <laughs> um, but trust me when I say this, Jesus knew exactly what season it was for this fig tree. He's using this to make a point about the temple. Here's his point that he he wants to say. This fig tree looks like it's supposed to do something that it's not. When you're far away from the fig tree, it looks like it's going to bear fruit. But when you come up close, it's completely different. I'm not a a fig tree expert, but what other scholars have pointed out is that when uh, this tree has leaves, like when Jesus saw it, um, it means it's about to actually start to produce the fruit of the fig, um, but there is no fruit. Some scholars want it to say that, you know, it's the early fruit, they call it nap, and uh, it's this bitter fruit, but that's not actually what's going on. It's really just this leafy, um, well, leaves is what it is, but there's no fruit there. And uh, so Jesus wasn't cursing this tree because he was hungry and the tree didn't have fruit. That's going to be out of character for Jesus. Uh, And and this is why scholars have struggled with this passage. Remember, Jesus will not use his miracles for selfish reasons. Remember when Jesus is in the, the desert for those 40 days before he begins his ministry and Satan tempts him because he's hungry and he says, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Even though Jesus can do it, He chooses not to because that will not fulfill his purpose. A miracle for selfish reasons is in direct contrast to the very character of Jesus. So Jesus is cursing this tree to make an example of what he's about to do in the temple. He was saying, you are cursed because you look like something that you are actually not. The curse I have for you is total destruction. When the disciples pass by the tree the next day, Peter acknowledges that the tree was completely dead, roots and all. Why would Jesus do this to this tree? The temple story helps us to understand. By the way, I considered titling this message differently. Um, I was going to call it uh, something, but... It didn't seem appropriate. I was thinking about calling it God Hates Figs, uh, but one misstated syllable and the whole message is different, and so I didn't want to do that. So so Jesus and his disciples um, 
go out. I'm sorry, that was... Anyway, um, Jesus and his disciples go out of the temple and, and Jesus begins to drive the money changers and the other merchants in verse 15 and following. Now, now as I've studied these verses, the more I read them, the more I love them. I, I was taught, and maybe some of you were too, that, that when Jesus did this, he did it to cleanse the temple of the inappropriate commercialism that was going on. Maybe, you know, you are familiar with that teaching. But that's really an inaccurate understanding of what Jesus is saying here. Look back to the fig tree. Did Jesus cleanse the fig tree? No, he he destroyed it, roots and all. He destroyed it because its purpose as a fruit-bearing tree was not being met in that season. And, And this is what he's doing also in the temple. Some background just about the temple so you know. it's The, the temple is divided into five different courts. Uh, there's an outside court, and this is where Jesus actually drove the money changers out and all of the merchants. Uh, that's known as the court of Gentiles. From there, you could go into the court of women, and then the court of Israelites, then the court of priests, and ultimately into the Holy of Holies. Now, a person could only go into uh, the court where they belonged. So uh, a, a Gentile was allowed into the court of Gentiles, but not into the court of women. Um, women were not allowed into the court of Israelites, and so on and so forth. Now, during Passover, every, everyone from around the temple would come to present sacrifices to God, including the Gentiles. And this is, this is probably right here the most important thing uh, about this whole story. Gentiles would come to the temple to present sacrifices, and here's why. Because Abraham, he's the patriarch of the Jewish people, was called by God to be a blessing to all nations. Every single nation on earth. And the Israelites, they were also given the specific task of proclaiming the truth of God, not only to their people, but also to the entire world. The people of Israel, their mission was to be a light of God for the entire world. So why do you think Jesus turned over the tables in the court of Gentiles? It's because the Israelites and and more specifically the Sanhedrin, the, the, the council that made all the rules for the temple, they were running those booths to extort the Gentiles. They were taking advantage of the Gentiles. And when Jesus says in verse 17, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a den of robbers. He is directly calling out Israelites in the Sanhedrin, saying the temple is not just for you. The house of God is for all nations. And when he quotes Jeremiah 7.11, calling the Israelites robbers you den of robbers, that word has a much deeper meaning than just thief or brigand. It it means revolutionary. A a person who is going to start a rebellion, and in this case, it's a rebellion to put the Israelites at the top of the food chain in a world where there's no competition from anyone else, especially the Gentiles, the Sanhedrin. The Israelites were not at the temple to worship God. God. They were there to worship themselves. No longer was the focus of the temple or the purpose of the temple in sight. 
those who were running it, they made it look like a place that was meant to worship God. But as you got closer to the temple, as you walked around it and you looked around, you realized that it was something completely different. The temple was like the fig tree and Jesus was cursing it. He wasn't cleansing it. Apart from the story of the fig tree, we may see what Jesus is doing in the temple as a cleansing. Maybe even a commentary on the commercialism of religion. But Jesus entering the temple is sandwiched um, by this story of the cursing and destruction of the fig tree. So therefore, Jesus is prophesying the future destruction of the temple. And here's why. There's two reasons. One, the temple is the house of God here on earth. But in a week from this story... God's house will no longer be in the holy of holies. And this is exciting. Through Jesus' death on the cross, God becomes accessible to everyone. And the curtain that divided the court of the priests from the holy of holies is ripped into just as Christ's body is ripped into on the cross. And there's no longer a separation of God from his people. The temple was meant to be a place of sacrifice to God. But Jesus, as the final sacrifice, says, Temple, you are done. You no longer have purpose here. But there's a second reason. The temple was intended to symbolize God's dwelling with Israel for the sake of the world. But the way that Jesus' contemporaries had organized things, it had come to symbolize not God's welcome to the nations, but God's exclusion of them. They looked like something that they were not, like a fig tree that doesn't bear fruit. Have you ever wondered why trees bear fruit? I didn't really think about it until this week when I was preparing for this message. Um, Obviously, humans can eat the fruit of the trees and they can be nourished by that, but ultimately it's about the seeds that are located in that fruit. What happens when a piece of fruit falls to the ground or is eaten and then ends up in the ground? What happens? Another tree can blossom and come up out of that. It's about perpetuation. The fruit of the tree is about that tree producing another tree. Now, a tree that doesn't bear fruit or can't bear fruit or won't bear fruit, it's really lost its purpose and its significance, right? It's a tree that's lost sight of its purpose. Jesus' contemporaries had lost sight of God and the purpose of the temple, You see, if they had remembered who God is, then they would not have become an exclusive and vindictive group. They wouldn't be hypocrites. They wouldn't be taking advantage of the Gentiles. They would actually be delighting in sharing God with them. They would enthusiastically bring them to the house of God so that the Gentiles could experience God as well. This was the purpose of the temple in the first place. This was the purpose of the Israelites. But they got caught up in other things. Power grabs, political posturing, greed, whatever it is. Ultimately, God was not being honored in the temple. And this is the very same thing that Jesus asks of us. To keep our focus on him. To continually be bearing the fruit that he calls us to bear. And that's a fruit of his sacrifice. When you encounter God on the mountaintop, it's easy to sing his praises because of 
how you understand and know his safety and provision and, and his presence. But as you travel away from that mountain, if you don't intentionally seek him out, then your tendency is to lose sight of him and ultimately his purpose for you. Likewise, if you encounter uh, God in a spiritual plateau where your faith has been reduced really to ritual, then you will struggle with stagnation. The goal is not for us to do the things of the Christian, but to encounter God. Because when we encounter him, we can't help but radiate his life to those around us. Seek out the mountaintop encounters. Seek out the regular meeting times with Jesus so that your faith and followership is one that's actively and steadily growing. It's a life of intentional encounters with he that leads us to bear the fruit of generosity to the world. That is our purpose. We are called to be the light of Christ to the people around us. I'm struck by this idea of being the light of Christ. I mean, what a privilege it is, right? For any Christian to reflect the glory of God to everyone around them. But we're only ever able to reflect his light if we truly have encounters with him. Intentional encounters over and over. Now, I, I love um, the video that I showed you earlier about um, the summer camps because I think that's one way that we can share the light of God. We can talk about what, what Jesus did in the lives of 130-plus students this summer and how he changed them and touched them and how they're going out and, and, and changing their world. I, I think we reflect the light of God whenever we selflessly uh, help those who are in need. I think we reflect the light of God whenever we do whatever we can to talk about what he is doing in our lives. Now, I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you. If you have a story of what God has done in your life, I want to encourage you to tell someone about it. Today, I don't mean like, you know, oh, I'll do that tomorrow. No, I want you to, to, to tell them about it today. Be the light of Christ today. Simply by sharing that story, you are bearing God's fruit. You are introducing someone to God there in that moment. And if you don't have a story, I want to encourage you with something different. I want to encourage you to take, in, in a moment, we're going to just experience some more worship and uh, we're going to, to sing to God. And if you don't have a story, I want to encourage you to lean into God right now, intentionally seeking him out so that you can experience him, you can see him, you can feel him, so that you can go out and reflect this experience with the people in your life, with your family, with your neighborhood, with your community, with your coworkers, whatever it is, wherever you're going today. That's what I want to challenge you with. And, and maybe today you're a person who has never surrendered your life to Jesus. I really want to en- encourage you. Don't leave today without saying yes to him. Have that encounter with him today. Say, say uh, the thing about God, the thing about Jesus is that um, he does restore us, heal us, recover us, and save us from all of the stuff that's in our lives. All the stuff that hurts, that's painful, 
uh, that's troubling, that's difficult. He says, I, I can take all of that away from you. I promise you a better future. Just surrender to me. If, if you're in that place today, I want to encourage you to say yes to him. Uh, we're going to have some folks in this section back over here in what I call the prayer chairs. And, and if you want to say yes to Jesus, I encourage you to go over there. There will be someone there who can pray with you and lead you through that prayer and celebrate with you in that decision. But here's my encouragement to you today. Don't waste this opportunity to encounter God to experience Him in whatever way that is. Whether it's sharing your story and and bearing that light to the people around you, whether it's praying for someone, whether it's worshiping Him, whether it's surrendering to Him, do that today because that is how we bear His fruit. That's the purpose that Jesus has for every single one of us. If you've ever wondered, why am I here? Why did God create me? simple as saying he wants you to bear his light he wants you to tell more people about him think about it what if everyone here came today ready to encounter god you, you didn't have to get prepped or, or ready to experience Him, but you prepared on your way here. You were intentional about saying, I'm going to the house of God. I'm going to worship Him there. And, and, and so I, I'm just going to get myself ready. Think of how much we could truly encounter Him when we're in this space. That's what I want to challenge you with right now. Prepare your hearts for worship with Him and just allow Him to invade your space so that you can go out and reflect His light to this community. We're going to worship here in a moment. I just That's what I invite you to. Let me, let me pray for us this morning. Well, God, we thank you so much for your son and for his sacrifice. His sacrifice that allows us to be connected to you with no separation at all. And I pray here this morning that you will come meet with us. Touch our hearts, transform our lives, fill us up with your glory so that we can be a blessing to people around us, so that we can live out our purpose here in this place, in this community. Lord, we invite you to come in. Touch our hearts. Change our lives. Let us be a light for you, a light for for the world. Lord, we love you. We want to celebrate you and all that you do for us. We pray these things in your wonderful and holy name. Amen. Jesus has given us a purpose, and that is to reflect his light. So I encourage you to be the light of Christ to those around you this week, church. Go out, shine his light to your neighborhoods, to your work, to your family, wherever you go and intentionally seek to engage with Him throughout the week so that you can continue to reflect Him. Church, be a blessing to those around you. Thanks. It was good to be with you this morning. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at go to Quest dot org.